Welcome to another Use of Force. For this week, our Writers of New York walk in Manhattan. We are in Harlem on Lenox Avenue for an incident that took place in 2010. On August 8th, at approximately 300 hours, in the confines of the 32nd Precinct, four officers became involved in an exchange of gunfire with two male Hispanic subjects resulting in the demise of one subject and injuries to the other. Two officers were injured during this incident, and three bystanders were struck and injured as well. The event was precipitated by a fight between two subjects, during which the first subject produced a firearm and possibly fired on the second subject. Police heard gunfire and responded. One uniformed officer approached from the south as an unmarked vehicle with one plainclothes sergeant and two plainclothes officers approaching from the north. At some point, the second subject achieved control of the firearm and possibly fired on the first subject. He also discharged a round at the lone uniformed officer, who had now closed to within several feet. The uniformed officer returned fire, while the plainclothes officers at the opposite end of the block also began to shoot. Of the two rounds fired by the uniformed officer, one struck one of the two plainclothes officers in the chest. The officer was saved from this crossfire by his bullet-resistant vest. The plainclothes sergeant discharged 16 rounds, and the two plainclothes officers discharged 16 rounds and 12 rounds, respectively. During the gunfire, a fifth officer, who did not fire, was struck in the wrist and injured, and the three previously mentioned civilian bystanders were also struck. Of the criminal participants, the first subject was struck six times and succumbed to his injuries. The second subject was struck 23 times, but survived. A grand jury refused to indict the second subject for firing on the uniformed officer. The deceased subject had 13 prior arrests, including robbery, burglary, and resisting arrest. The deceased subject's blood alcohol content was twice the legal limit for driving at the time of his demise. So there's a lot going on there. And from the use of force description alone, it's even hard to discern what exactly is going on. Yeah. And I think this must have been written after some time investigating it as well, because the reports that came out sort of the day after told a slightly different story than after things had been um, studied. So the two people that were involved in this were named Luis Soto and Angel Alvarez. Mm -hmm. And Luis Soto was killed in this incident. He was the man that was shot six times, and Angel Alvarez was the man that was shot 23 times and survived. Yeah. The parts of the story that seemed to be unclear at the beginning and maybe became more clear as the, you know, bullets were investigated and studied and the direction of where things were going was studied and talking to witnesses. The the questions were whether both Soto and Alvarez were shooting at each other, whether either one of them had shot the other 
previously to the police getting involved and whether either one of them had actually shot at the police officers. Mm-hmm. So when this first happened, the thought was that Soto and Alvarez had both shot at each other and also both shot at the police. Right. But as time went on, this the I think what was decided in court ultimately was that Soto had shot at Alvarez and the police had shot Soto and Alvarez had not shot at the police. Yeah. Because Angel Alvarez was ultimately held in Rikers but then released. The jury didn't didn't convict him. Yeah. And this was I mean, I think adding to the confusion was that it's not communicated in the use of force report, but this was a barbecue that was happening at three in the morning. So there were right. lots of people on the street, which is why that there were also, you know, bystanders that were hurt as well. Right, exactly. One of the I think it was the New York Times article that was written about a week after talked about how, you know, the officers were in the area. They were called into the area by this the commanding police officer to specifically to sort of like watch the crowds as they dispersed from this barbecue yeah that was at three in the morning um i guess it was on it was three in the morning on a sunday so it was like a saturday night party in the summer right um which isn't when i first read three in the morning barbecue i it seemed strange but then i realized it was august and it was a saturday and that doesn't seem that seems totally normal yeah so yeah the police were were asked to be in that area by other not by the citizens but by other police and they heard gunshots the the police that were on the scene then heard gunshots and came towards them and in that new york times report they said you know it's even at three in the morning, the streets were crowded and they had all, the police had all come from different directions. So they were surrounding the two men. And then it was basically just the worst setup for something like this. That really, like, it, that's, it's just a bad police form yeah. to be in when there's that many people around and there's gunshots and you're in a formation where you're, you can easily hit each other and hit other people. Yeah. So I guess they knew that from the beginning. The The reason why the two men were fighting is a little unclear. One of the reports says they were fighting over a woman, but that's only said once, and it's not really discussed again. Right. I don't know that it really matters. But... There, there definitely was a struggle between the two men. And then it was determined that the police were the reason that Soto ultimately died. Now, whether that would have happened if they hadn't intervened or not is unclear, obviously. But it's a lot of bullets to be fired. Like, it's a lot of shots, in my opinion. And I, again, I don't know really what the typical 
training would be around something like this, but what really sort of stands out to me is just that the police knew that they were in a bad sort of tactical formation. They knew there were a lot of people around, but there were still over 50 shots fired mm -hmm. towards these two men. And I wasn't really able to find much that explained why that was. Uh, why those that many shots were fired? I, I mean, I think it's people, they, once you've started presenting yourself as a threat to somebody else with a gun, I think it's, they, you just keep firing mm -hmm. so that you can ensure that they're not going to respond. Right. I, I mean, it's awful, you know, but yeah. I, I think it's, at that point, it's like, part of your brain kicks in that they're like just like eliminating an insect or something it's just like what they're once it starts it just until it's like until it looks like they're not finished. moving at all and yeah yeah which is awful i i don't know if there are two people that are firing guns at each other within a barbecue yeah i mean that's that's already a bad situation i right. don't i don't know if you can like you can't wait that out or something like that yeah i don't know what the i don't know what the alternative is yeah i mean i guess the it's just it feels yeah i guess you know the alternative if one of the two men had died and the police hadn't intervened the question is would people be mad at the police for not intervening in a way to potentially save that person's life but now now the story because they did intervene in this way is the police fired all, like 50 shots hit each other hit bystanders killed one of the men hit the other man 23 times like that's they've the the outcome if they had if this hadn't happened possibly would have been that one of these men would have died Right. But the outcome, because they intervened, is that one of the men still died and a bunch of other people got shot, including bystanders and police and the other, you know, it's just like, it seems like it just created chaos Yeah. having them do that. Like, a, and I guess, yeah, it's just a tricky, it's a very tricky thing for me personally to understand what the thought process and what the training for a situation like this really like why it's like that right well i think if we had a, a better system of policing period where it wasn't so adversarial and it wasn't about corralling people if we really could get our police force to the level where it is about service the, and also we do away with things like drug laws and things like that where a police officer like because you're at, at a barbecue what are the things that could possibly be going on that are illegal activity you know I guess drinking on the street which was may illegal not be, in 2010 yeah, yeah I don't know where it's going to be after the pandemic I don't know what it should be probably drug use and really, that's about it. And if we had a, a system where 
law enforcement is actually servants and is engaged with the community, what's to say that they couldn't be just hanging out in this atmosphere, mm. in the barbecue itself, and then be in a position when there are people that are starting to get riled up for fighting to be like, hey, let's diffuse this. Right. What's going on? Well, the other thing is that only one of these officers was in uniform. The others were plainclothes officers. So Alvarez in the court case said that he thought the people shooting at him were Soto's friends. Yeah. He didn't realize until after the whole thing was over that those people were police. Right. So I don't know. I, I don't really understand the point of the plainclothes officer, but if you're going to a crowded place where you want to have police presence to sort of keep the crowd under control, I don't know why you would go in disguise. Mm. Like, if you want to keep the crowd under control, be in your uniform. That's like, people know who you are. People are a little bit afraid of the police. Like, I don't think that's great that people are afraid of the police. I'd also like to change that. But like, if the point is to keep the crowd under control, then you should show, like, having a police car that's marked NYPD keeps people like, you see that and you're aware and you're not going to like do something that's going to get you in trouble. Yeah. But yeah, it's... showing up in your unmarked sedan, in your unmarked clothes, like, it's almost like they're, at, they're like, it makes me feel like they're not there to actually keep things orderly. They're there to catch someone who's being disorderly. Right. Yeah. I could see it go either way. I mean, as far as if we had a good system where people were okay with police hanging around, and I think the reason that people aren't okay with police hanging around is because there are a lot of laws intended to, like, catch people right. in behavior that, frankly, like, isn't dangerous, you know? Right. I mean, maybe dangerous to yourselves, long-term health consequences, but, like, mm -hmm. drug and alcohol use is not something that, uh, you know, we should be criminalizing. No. Uh, but... You know, having somebody in a uniform while you're hanging out at the barbecue, yeah, it would be uncomfortable. And not, and you would probably, in this current system, feel like you are being policed actively. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. Ha I mean, it happens, right? Like, and I am not a person of color living in Harlem, but I feel uncomfortable and I feel like I'm being policed when I'm leaving, you know, not during COVID, but pre-COVID, when if I was leaving a crowded party or a crowded you know club or whatever and then there's police outside like it feels weird I don't like it yeah. but also I guess I'd rather see that there's police outside than have them be there hidden right and like have my friend get arrested for some you know what I mean like yeah I'd rather see if they're gonna be there I'd rather just see that they're there yeah, well, I mean, there might be an environment of distrust as well that's just hanging around the barbecue anyway. If there's a bunch of plainclothes officers you have to watch out for constantly. Yeah, yeah. I think it creates a heightened sense of unease right. when you're not 
you just don't know who it is that you're talking to or who it is that's standing next to you. You don't know what their intentions are. It's, yeah, I mean, especially, once again, when the things that they could get you for are, you know, drug-related, you know, being at a, a social event and, and yeah. taking substances. Right. Which right. isn't, you know, whatever one's opinions are on, on taking substances, like, it just... That is not the place where you should, you should, there's really no need to create that type of environment. No, I don't think so. And of course, in this instance, there was a, a fight that, you know, and that is something that I think, I, th I think more people would say, yeah, we don't need the police to be watching for someone that might be taking drugs or drinking on the street. But I think the percentage of people that would maybe be interested in having the police around to break up like a physical altercation would be higher. I personally don't know how exactly how I feel about it, but um, that does seem like something that's more aligned with what their job should be. So it does become tricky that this did, that there was a physical altercation. Um, and it's just, it's unfortunate that it ended the way it did. And I think feels like there's something wrong with the way that it all played out. It just feels very heightened energy. Yeah. So after this incident, like I said, Alvarez was held in at Rikers, I believe for a couple of years until the court case. Mm -hmm. And the jury, after hearing all the evidence and seeing his testimony, uh, said he was not guilty for that he had not shot at the police officers and that he had not shot at Soto, that he was just mixed up in it, basically. Mm -hmm. And after being released, Alvarez filed a lawsuit against the officers that had shot him 23 times. Mm -hmm. And... Shortly after that lawsuit was filed, he was arrested on drug charges. Right. For they they you know in the articles that talk about it, they call him a drug kingpin, mm -hmm. saying that he was um, selling cocaine along with seven other men in the area, mm -hmm. working out of the. Um, the houses there, the Hudson mm -hmm. houses. And yeah, it's interesting timing. Right. He, I mean, at this point, Alvarez was really well known in the community because he had been shot 23 times by the police and survived that. And he did end up pleading guilty to the charges of the cocaine charges yeah and I guess got like a plea deal mm -hmm. from that but it was just yeah it's just a whole I just feel like there's so many layers to this particular incident because the timing of him you know filing a lawsuit against the city and against the officers that shot him and then being investigated and 
arrested for these drug charges. And the way it's written about, you know, calling him the kingpin and saying, like, this is getting drugs off the street and, like, he's pushing it onto people and creating bad environment. Ultimately, I don't know how much it actually was. Like, it says that he was also charged with money laundering and he had laundered $141,000 over the course of, I think, eight months, Mm -hmm. which, I don't know, I guess that's a lot of money, but it's also not that much. Like, right. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what to think about this too. Yeah. And whether it's, uh, I mean the whole, the, I, I guess I have two different feelings. The, on one hand, it's very strange timing that like, it feels like the police want to be vindictive. They're getting a lawsuit filed against them. They don't want to deal with that, so they're just going to arrest this person. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking, well, he did plead guilty to it, so he was selling drugs. And would it be the smartest move to file a lawsuit against the police when you're selling drugs? Hmm. And like, of, of course they're going to be looking for anything right. to get you. And, like, is that, do we want to be in a system where, like, you have to be 100%, like, perfect by the law in order to be, like, if you're in a situation like this where you need compensation for being shot 23 times by the people that are supposed to protect and serve, do, you know, should you have to then expect that they're going to come after you for other things yeah it is really interesting i mean yeah i guess this is the episode where we just talk about drugs shouldn't be illegal right it there there wasn't anything here that they didn't steal anything Mm -mm. they got they were 22 and 23 years old or 23 and 21 i think one of them was about to turn 22 yeah and they were maybe fighting over a woman just fighting you know they're just young people fighting and i think that drugs played a role in the environment not being able to be responsive until you know things had gotten too far out of control and not being able to be embedded in the community in a way that's more like a part of the community mm. and and he comes out of of Rikers and has this reputation as a guy that's being shot 23 times mm-hmm. and uh, you know because he's known probably can parlay that into selling drugs yeah and and also possibly if looking for other work that we consider in our society to be you know legal acceptable work possibly not able to get work because you're also known in your community as the person that's been shot by the police 23 times. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, there there was no theft uh, involved as far as we know. Yeah. In the research we did, there was no assault, like, a, you know, like rape or anything like that on mm-hmm. another person. It's the altercation between these two people, mm-hmm. which shouldn't have escalated that way but that's what i would 
like to see the law enforcement be in an ideal world is just like de-escalation tactics. Right. So. Yeah. It seems like in this case and in many cases, what we're what we're looking for from our police, we being you know me me and you, and I think other people, is like you said, de-escalation. People that can be part of the community and truly be there to protect, serve, help, be respectful. Yeah. And calm people down when they're upset. And I think that what we have right now is people that are in the community but not involved and not engaged and stand out. And they don't de-escalate. If anything, they escalate. Yeah. Most times when police are around, it seems like the situation is heightened and made worse. Yeah. By having them there. Yeah. And look, I'm sure that we could have police officers on at uh, an organizational top level or at the like ground level that could tell you that there are efforts that are being made to embed themselves in the community in a more mm -hmm. organic way because that's a way you could help catch crime too. But sure. I think that's the kind of the trick of it is that they are working within a system that is like the biggest component of it is a cat and mouse game. Right. So they are, you know, working under that uh, premise and the actual community embedding is going to be dealt with in a skeptical manner by all people around. You know, yeah. the police are going to say, well, you know, so long as you're abiding by the rules, we can be your friends. And the people on the other side, like, you know, the rules are not, uh, they don't match my lifestyle. They're not right. reflective of what I should be allowed to do. Right. And who makes the rules and where do, you know, the police can come and be in the community to some extent, but if they're not from the community or if they haven't, act, if they don't live there, if they don't engage with people in a sort of deeper level, there's still going to be these outsiders that are enforcing rules that are made by outsiders and made by people that don't completely understand the different communities in the city. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it for this week. As always, if you know more about this case or would like to discuss it more, please uh, reach out to us. We'd always like to hear more information to broaden our understanding of the situation. Uh, until next time, take care. Bye. Bye.